0: You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is s-b-c-v-e-r-o-n-a We read in scripture in a little while ago, um, in Acts chapter number four, go ahead and turn back there right now, Acts chapter number four, and we are going to go back to that passage and talk about this morning, the power of a single prayer, or really we could ask, and we could say it's this way, the power of a single prayer meeting. Prayer has, in so many cases within the church, become degraded. Maybe not willingly so, maybe not out of of choice, maybe not by realizing what we have done, but we in too many times have degraded prayer. We've turned it into just a memorized set of words that we say over and over, and I catch myself doing the same thing far too often, saying the same things making mistakes because I'm praying the wrong memorized prayer at the wrong time or something like that, and it's always convicting to me, no, pay attention to what I'm saying, because I'm talking to a real, not just a person, I'm talking to God, and I need to make sure that I'm putting my attention and my effort into it at that time. Here in this passage in Acts chapter number four, Peter and John, they were just arrested and they were threatened to not continue to preach Christ. How they could go out there and say all sorts of things. They could go out there and say, uh, preach about, you know, Judaism. They could go out there and try to sell this idol. They could go out there and try to sell this other idol or false God. They could go out there and preach all sorts of things, but not this. This one thing was so offensive to the culture and why? Was it because Jesus was a very offensive figure? Was it because Jesus' words and his writings were so racist in nature that it was offensive to even bring up his name or to quote him? Was it because Jesus was such a vile man that to get up into to to try to say good things in Jesus' name uh, was just really in bad taste? Was that why the Sanhedrin, uh, you know, told Peter and John, threw them in prison, and then threatened Peter and John, do not preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at a previous passage where Peter and John said, well, you decide who we ought to obey right now. Should we obey you or should we obey God who has commanded us to preach Jesus Christ? And Peter even went so far in his statement to them to point his finger at them and say, you're the ones that crucified the Messiah. You're the ones who crucified Jesus. It's in his name that we healed this man. They've told them, do not continue to do what you've done. And Peter and John found themselves in a position here, torn torn between loyalty and faithfulness to God and the inherent human need of self-preservation. That's what we automatically want to default to, don't we? We automatically want to default to stay away from the edge of the cliff. Don't run into the burning building. Don't run towards the sound of gunfire. Don't intentionally put myself in a position where I might be injured or I might put my life uh, to a threat. That's what's natural to us. Praise the Lord for men and women who do run into burning buildings, who do run towards gunfire, who do put themselves at risk on a daily basis. That's one thing that, you know, the police officers have to go through. The soldiers, they're under threat of fire. They're under threat of death when they're on the battlefield. Police officers, they're under threat of death every single time they put their uniform on and get in their vehicle. In some cases, just because they're wearing a badge. They never know when they go to a domestic dispute which are some of the most dangerous ones for them, they never know if they're going to come home from that one. Imagine living under that threat day in and day out. Peter and John have now to decide, do we obey God and continue faithfully with what we were supposed to do? Or do we adjust our tack a little bit? I don't want to get arrested again. That's no fun. I don't want to be killed. That's certainly no fun. I don't want to end up like Jesus did hanging on that cross, but I do want to obey at the same time. Here they find themselves torn. When released, what do they do? Where do they go? Well, they needed a break, I can imagine. Well, if you just spent the night in jail, and if you've just been threatened, and you didn't know what was going to happen, I don't imagine jail food was that great. I don't imagine it's that great now. Uh, but I imagine it was especially not that great then. What would many men have gone? Many men would have gone to the tavern. They would have pulled themselves up to the bar they would have drunk their worries away and decided that they would protect themselves instead. But that's not what Peter and John went and did. They went and they had a praise meeting and they had a prayer meeting. They went and they gathered themselves together with people who were like themselves. Look back again at Acts 4, verse number 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. To their own company. Peter and John were persecuted. That led them to do what? That led them to pray. It led them to praise God. Does that remind you of anybody? Well, Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, what did they do? They sang hymns and praises unto God. David, when he was being pursued and hunted, writing beautiful psalms, praising the Lord. Job, in the midst of unspeakable grief. Moses, when the people were complaining about his leadership, Noah, when he was being mocked for his preaching for hundreds of years while he was building the ark. John, same John, when he was exiled on the island of Patmos after he had been boiled alive in oil. Yet John still finds it in his heart to sing praises to God. That persecution drove all of those men to prayer. It drove them straight to the feet of God, not just to say, God, get me out of this mess, but praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. He was spilling out all his blood. His body was hanging there torn. And he said to his father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Who else does that remind you of? Does it remind you of you? Not yourself. You say, no, no, that doesn't sound like me. When things start going against me, when everything's not going my way, you're going to hear my voice complaining. Well, I hope not. No, no. When, when things aren't going my way, let me tell you, I'm going to lift up my voice against that guy or that girl or the person who, you know, wronged me or the person who didn't do or say what I hope they would do or say, man, I'm going to lift up my voice against them and I'm going to have a pity party and I'm going to, why is it that we don't praise the Lord when bad things happen? Oh, when bad things happen, we pray, don't we? We take our prayer knob and we turn it all the way up to 10. Oh, Lord, man, this horrible thing has happened to me and I can't, I can't believe it and I just don't know what to do and my heart hurts and I'm stressed and I'm worried and, and we really turn our, our uh, prayer notch all the way up and rightly so. But Jesus taught us to pray beginning and ending with praise in the Lord's prayer. He said to rejoice when you're persecuted, to rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations, because then we are in good company. If we follow Christ, others are going to know it. Some are going to criticize us. Some will even persecute us. In Sunday school, we've been talking about church history and We've been talking about uh, now the the Protestant Reformation and certain men inside the Protestant Reformation, like John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Knox, talking about these men who had some good points, but they, they really didn't have some other good points at the same time. These men who decided to, they wanted to try to reform the Roman Catholic Church from within, but the Roman Catholic Church would have nothing to do with it and kick them out of it. And then they went and they found their own city, their own government to attach their own church to. And then they proceeded to persecute the Anabaptists, to persecute the Waldensians, to persecute the New Testament church. And that's what we are. We aren't from the Protestant Reformation. We are uh, from the line of independent Baptist churches who may not have always been called by that name but have always been separate from those organizations, separate and independent, trying to just worship the Lord, trying to learn the word of God as best we know possible, with Jesus Christ as our head and no other man. All throughout time, the New Testament church that descended from the apostolic church, that is, the church of the apostles. If that whet your appetite for a little church history, I encourage you to go, since you've already missed 18 lessons i to go and find those on the website. Why is it that we don't praise the Lord when bad things happen? Because it's hard. It's hard to think of God as a loving God when things aren't going our way. But he nevertheless, he doesn't cease to be a loving God. God does not cease to be all-knowing when a surprise occurs to us. He doesn't cease to be all-powerful when the answers are beyond our ability. When the cure is beyond the doctor's ability, he does not cease to be the great physician. He says to rejoice when we're persecuted. He says that all who live godly shall suffer persecution. But praise Praise isn't only tied to persecution. We aren't, just a, we aren't just supposed to praise God during times of persecution. We're supposed to praise him for the great things he has done, for who he is. There's so much we can be thankful for, of course. On Tuesday night, we had our pie prayer and praise night, and um, a lot of y'all missed out on that. Uh, we had a good time of fellowship, and uh, the pies were good, and the, the prayer time was good, and the praises were good. and uh, it was a sweet time of fellowship that we got to have. and I'm sorry you missed out on that, but we talked about Thanksgiving on Tuesday night. And I'm not going to rehash it. In fact, um, I'm going to actually write a, a post about that, a blog post uh, to go up on the website about all what we talked about there. We need to be thankful for who he is and what he has done. There's so much to be thankful for that the Bible says that his praise should continually be in our mouth. That means that praise the Lord should continually be on our mouth. It took a long time for me, personally, to get used to saying praise the Lord. It doesn't come naturally to me. To get used to saying instead of thank you, or instead of saying that sweet, saying, or or bless your heart, which could, you know, in the South, bless your heart could mean um, all oh, that was sweet, but bless your heart could also mean, well, that was really dumb. <laughs> well, bless his heart. You know, uh, it could be, you know, go either way, but rather than saying bless his heart, but saying, you know, praise the Lord. Hey, that was a wonderful job or th- that food was wonderful. Or I really appreciate you, you know, sending the card or this or that. And, hey, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Get used to saying praise the Lord. His praise ought to be continually on our tongue. You know what else that reminds me of? Pray without ceasing that prayer to God, talking to him, conversing with him. That ought to always be on the tip of our tongue too. We always ought to be living in a mode of conversing with God, not just others. We ought to do that too. But to always be in this mode of talking with God, you know what that means? That means I ought to see you walking down the aisle sometime, mumbling to yourself. I won't call the strait jackets and have them come and get you, you know, in their white coats. Uh, but you're talking to God. You thought You saw somebody and you thought, you know what? I remember they had this need. I'm just going to pray for it right now as I'm walking down the aisle to go get a drink of water. Uh, you ought to be praying in the car. You ought to be praying in, in, anywhere. You know what happens whenever uh, we drive by any flashing lights? If we got the kids with us, that is. If we drive by an ambulance or a fire truck or a police officer goes by us, or even if there's a tow truck on the side of the road, <laughs> even tow trucks, my, one of my kids goes, oh, we have to pray. We have to pray. All right, go right ahead. And then they'll pray for whoever. You know, is injured, that they would uh, get well again, or pray for the police officer, that he stays safe, whatever it is he's doing or what emergency he's going to. Just constantly keeping prayer there. Well, let's pray for this person. Well, let's pray for that person and keeping not just prayer, but praise on the tip of our tongue. And how do I praise the Lord when I've lost somebody? How do I praise the Lord when my heart hurts? Job managed to do it when he said naked came i out of my mother's womb and naked will i return thither the lord giveth the lord taketh away i can't just bless the lord when he gives and, and talk about how good and loving god is when he gives and then be silent when he takes job says after all of that blessed be the name of the lord we need to pray without ceasing but we also need to praise without ceasing. John and Peter Peter headed back to their own people, to their people, not not to their family. Now, their families might have been involved, yeah, but they went back to their church people, to their brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones who they most closely identified with. You know, I'm a Virginian now. I was a West Virginian, Um, but now I'm a Virginian. I was a Floridian there for 10 years as well. But I'm a Virginian now. Now, I can somewhat identify with the people around me, maybe not, you know, volunteer fans or um, Cavalier fans, but, you know, I can, you know, generally identify with the people here around me, but who do I really identify with most? The people in my neighborhood? I mean, we really live in the same place. No. Although, although everybody that lives around me is from West Virginia as well. No, that's not who I identify with. Even the people in Morgantown, West Virginia, is that who I identify with? Not really. I identify best with the people inside the walls of this building, with saved and baptized believers, with Christians, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what? If I went to Alabama, I would find a church with people who were saved there, and I would be able to identify with them. And if I were to go back down to South Florida, you know what I'd find? I would find people from all tongues and cultures and skin colors. And I would be able to identify with them better than I would with lost family and loved ones who are unsaved back home. Because that's who my family is. Peter and John ran back to their own company. It's a shame when people get in trouble when Christians get in trouble and they don't run to the church. When they get in trouble and they don't run to the preacher. When they get in trouble, they don't run to their family of believers. Can we make this church one that is built for the rescue of not just unbelievers, but built for the rescue of believers too? One that is a safe haven for, for he who has fallen, for she who has been wounded spiritually, not just from somebody else's doing, but also from their own doing. Can this be a hospital for those Christians? That's what it's supposed to be. Supposed to be that kind of a place for us to gather, and there they go. There they go back to their church to gather with them, and then they began to pray. And as we read about this prayer, this prayer is a very powerful prayer. There are four things that made this prayer very powerful. Let's read it one more time. Acts chapter number four, and look at what they say. Acts four twenty four. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, "What would you have said first? Oh Lord, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. They're threatening me if I don't stop preaching. Will you, will you just go up there and shut all their mouths? Will you get rid of all of these Sanhedrin leaders and get, put new ones up there that are Christians? Will you, uh, put some sort of a force field around me so they can't even touch me? That might be what I'm tempted to pray. What are they, where do they begin? Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and see, and all that is in the, and all that in them is. What in the world does that have to do with their problem? Here they have a problem. They're scared to death that they're going to be thrown in prison or killed for preaching the name of Jesus. And when they gather themselves together and they all begin to pray with one accord, they start by telling God who he is. Now, are they really telling God who he is? No, they're reminding themselves of who God really is. That he is the all-powerful creator. That he is God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, including those 70 men sitting there on those chairs as Sanhedrin rulers. They're reminding themselves of who God is. This is, one, it is a united prayer. Four things that made this prayer so powerful. One, it is a united prayer. They prayed in one accord. You know what that means? It means as they gathered together, they had a unified reason for praying. They had a unified direction in their prayer. And what was their prayer about? Their prayer was about the preaching and the spread of God's word there inside the city of Jerusalem to their brothers and sisters who were Jews. This is what their prayer was for. They were unified. They were all in one accord in this prayer. Now, I don't know if they all lifted up their voices together. It makes it sound like it. Have you ever been in a church service where everybody prays all at the same time? I have. It's it's different, you know, (laughs) Uh, but I'm certainly not against it. Everybody lifting up their voice and praying, you say, that's that's chaos. Not if you're talking to God. He's perfectly capable of hearing a hundred prayers at one time and answering those prayers. If you're capable of ignoring everybody else, that is, <laughs> and praying and keeping your your uh, your mind focused on prayer at that time, um, but I, I leave that aside. I don't know if they all prayed together at the exact same time. It certainly sounds like it, though. They lifted up their voice here, united in prayer. You know, we ought to have private prayer lives. Our our only prayers ought not to be just the public ones, the ones that other people see and hear. You know, at the table or at church. There ought to be private prayer lives as well. If there's not, then our public prayers probably have little to no power to them. Because you're out of practice. But we also ought to have prayer together. Now, sometimes we get into this habit of thinking that as long as I'm doing it privately, that's really all that matters. So long as I praise the Lord privately, that's all that really matters. So long as I read my Bible or pray or as long as I, you know, soul in privately, that's all that matters. But we have to remember that we are a group, a gathering, a called-out assembly, and we're supposed to assemble ourselves together for what reason? Well, we're to assemble ourselves together, yes, for the study of the Word of God and for the preaching of it. We're to gather ourselves together for the worship of Lord, of God, through song. We're supposed to gather ourselves together for prayer. We're supposed to gather ourselves together for witnessing. They were, they were united here. And if you're not united, if we as a church are not united in our direction, we are going to become untied. And folks are going to start heading off in their own directions and the church will become divided and it will fall apart. Their prayer was so powerful because it was united. Number two, because it was a God-centered prayer. It didn't focus on their problems. It might be very easy if somebody is sick and in the hospital for us to gather and to pray and within the first phrase of our prayer to lift up this person in their physical need. And I'm not saying we ought not to pray for people's physical needs, but we need to center that prayer on God. First and foremost, they didn't focus on their problems. They, verse 24 there, they recognized God as creator. And how is that going to be helpful to the folks there in that church? Like I said, it wasn't for God's benefit that they said these things. Because it helped them to be able to see their problems in perspective. Reminding us that God can handle my problem. He's got enough money to pay my bills. He's got more than enough. He doesn't doesn't even need money to pay my bills. He's got more than enough power to bring a cure If I look at my problems through God's lens, certainly he's big enough to handle that problem. But what I need to find out is what is God trying to do in my life through this problem? If we look at God through the lens of our problems, then sometimes God seems small. God seems weak. And God seems uncaring and indifferent to our needs. If I take and I look at God only through the lens of my problems, but if I look at my problems through the lens of God, through his word that he has given to us, well, how differently do we see God? We suddenly begin to see what those problems might be for. And even if it still remains a question, We still trust him that he's doing something and working something in our lives. If you read some of the most powerful prayers in scripture, you'll see that these prayers were not problem-centered, but they were God-centered. You can write these prayers down. We're not going to go to them and read them, but in Nehemiah chapter 9, this might be a good study for you this week. In Nehemiah chapter number 9, Nehemiah was in big trouble, and he gets down and he begins to pray to God, and what does he start doing right away? He starts praising God with things about who God is before he ever goes and makes his request. God knew what Nehemiah's problems were before Nehemiah ever asked. God knows who he is. But Nehemiah gets down and he builds up his faith as he begins to talk to God and to praise God. In Isaiah 42.10, here's another one. Isaiah talks He talks about God's power, his guidance, God's control, his faithfulness before he ever gets to his requests. David was king of Israel, but even before he was king, he was king of these kinds of prayers too. Prayers that were powerful, prayers that were were packed with praise. I mean, you just read through the Psalms and you'll see so many times where David is just repeating this idea of praising the Lord and praising the Lord and lifting up the name of God. David talked a lot. You know, we, you know, we read about a lot of things he said. We read a lot of what he wrote. David talked a lot, but he talked a lot to God too. And if we just talked to God more, we would end up praising him more. And boy, how would that affect us? How would it affect you? If the first thing out of your tongue, instead of it being, woe is me, it being, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that I have a headache today. Somebody's going to look at you and say, what, what? That's not normal. (laughs) Why do people say, praise the Lord, you know, when something bad is is happening? Praise the Lord, my parents didn't let me watch TV today. Or praise the Lord, I got my tablet taken away from me. Why would you say that? Because I have parents. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord God gave me them. Praise the Lord God gave me parents that love me and don't just send me away to go and do whatever I want, however I want, wherever it leads. Praise the Lord I've got parents who love me and are willing to make me temporarily unhappy for long my long-term good. Parents who have a vision for that. You know, it would change the tone of our prayers if we talked to him more, and praised him a whole lot more. And think about this. I've talked about this before too, about how, how hard is it to be upset with somebody if you pray for them? You can't really have negative feelings towards somebody if you routinely are praying for them. Because you praying for them is going to affect your feelings toward them. On the other hand, though, your feelings towards somebody can affect your prayers. I've run into people before, does so-and-so still go to that church? Yeah. Well good luck. I ain't coming back. And I think to myself. Clearly it was said out of pride. Clearly it was said because they thought they were better than whoever these other people were. How prideful of a statement, though. Being unwilling to forgive when God has forgiven so much. If we prayed for the people that we disagree with, if we prayed for the people that we struggle to get to know, if we prayed for the people that we rub the wrong way, it would affect how we feel towards them. What about them are you thankful for? Tell God. You know, by the way, that's why we sang Tell It to Jesus this morning, at least I'm assuming. I told him when I was preaching about, we didn't just sing three Christmas songs, we sang Tell It to Jesus. And this is why. Tell God, tell that person what you're thankful for. You may find a new friend in them. You know how to revive your prayer life? By making it full of praise rather than just a heavenly complaint box, rather than just thinking of prayer as, as the, the, the box, you know, in the cathedral you go to and sit next to the priest in confession confess to him your your sins out of obligation. And it is a, a place of, it's not fun, and it's dark, and it's dreary, and it's it's a sad place, a humbling place to go to that bo- confession box. And we do need to go to the confession box of prayer and seek forgiveness of our sins on a daily basis. The prayer isn't supposed just to be a complaint box or a confession box. We need to take out some of our moans and add some amens and add some hallelujahs. And we need to make gratitude a part of our prayer. Oh, yeah, the moans, <clears throat> excuse me, the moans and the groans, they're going to come because pains are going to come and tragedy is going to come and worry is going to come. But when we start off a prayer with praise, it can change your whole perspective in your prayer, but it can also add power to your prayer. John Wesley, a name you're familiar with. He was riding a horse through the countryside and thieves came and attacked him and took every penny he had robbed him that night. He prayed and he wrote his prayer down in his journal. This is the prayer that John Wesley wrote after he was just robbed by, by thieves and everything he had was taken. He said this, dear God, I thank you for three things. Wait a minute. You just got robbed every penny you had. How are you going to stay at the next inn? How are you going to get any food tomorrow? And you're going to sit down and talk to God and thank God for these three things. He said this, number one, though they took all my money, they didn't take my life. Though they took all my money, it wasn't much. Most of all, thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Reminds me of the prayer. The Pharisee stood up. And said, God, I thank thee that I am not as these other men are, extortioners, unjust, or even as this horrible, nasty, dirty, thieving publican over here. And the, Pharise- <clears throat> the Pharisee who stood up and, the Bible said, prayed thus with himself. In other words, his prayers bounced off the ceiling and came right back at him because God wasn't listening to that kind of prayer. But then you have the publican who, well, he, he was a cheater, and a thief, but he fell down on his face before God. In humility before God, confessing his sin before God and asking for forgiveness. Thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. If not by the grace of God, it would be you sitting in Middle River, Middle River Regional Jail this morning for something you justly did or unjustly did. If not by the grace of God, it would be you this morning who will be sitting there watching that family get in their car and go to church and mocking them for their faith. Mocking them for being Christians. If not by the grace of God, it would be you this morning that would have gone further in your sin than you have and messed up your life horribly. If not by the grace of God. And sometimes it's a DVD, you know, CDs in the trash can, right? Sometimes it's a track left on a bus seat. Sometimes it's scrolling through YouTube and coming across a video uh, by a preacher that just happens to catch your attention and gets a hold of your heart and changes. And sometimes it's at a church service when a preacher speaks unknowingly about something that you're dealing with. What a positive, God-centered, unified prayer. Number three, this was also a scriptural prayer. It was based on scripture. Do you quote the Bible? even in your prayer, or quote the Bible, period. But in your prayers, they, <clears throat> in verses 25 and 26 here, it says, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They're quoting scripture from Psalm 2 here. A prophecy that was made hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. This psalm was written. These words that Peter and John in this church are praying together were written talking about when Jesus was going to come. And the people in this church that were praying, they saw the fulfillment of that prayer. They saw what happened right in front of their eyes. And they quoted the Bible here in the middle of their prayer. They prayed the interpretation as well. In verse number 27, it says, of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod, the king, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, with the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They prayed here the, the, the prophecy from Psalm 2, quoting scripture. They prayed the interpretation of it, how it came to be fulfilled there in the middle of their prayers. And then they applied it to their situation in verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. This is the threatenings of the Sanhedrin. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice he did not pray this. Lord, they told us not to do it and we're worried about it. So, Lord, please give me a sign that I'm supposed to do right and preach. That's not the prayer. Lord, I don't know if I should continue to preach Christ. Would you please give me a sign to know whether or not I should preach Christ? No, no, no. That part's a given. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to do that. You don't need to pray and, and find out whether it's God's will for you to be a witness, a testimony, for you to preach Christ. If you're a Christian, that's a given. What did they pray? They didn't pray whether or not they should do it. They said this, that they would grant with all bold, that God would grant them all boldness to speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, just like it just happened with Paul, with Peter and, and John. When that, that lame man there by the temple, by the beautiful gate, was healed, he says, Do it all over again. All the things that just got me in trouble, <laughs> you know what else it did? It got them in trouble. But man, when they were standing there in Solomon's porch and preaching, thousands of people stood there and heard them, and many of them got saved. Peter and John said, You know what? It might get me in trouble if I go out and do it again, but it's worth it. It's worth it to spend another night in jail. Or worse, if thousands will stand there and hear the word of God preached, the gospel preached, and if some will get saved. That was his prayer. It wasn't, let me know if I should keep doing it, but it was, I'm going to keep doing it. And I pray, Lord, that your power would be in it and that you would make it powerful. They prayed scripture. They claimed this scripture. Their prayer was based on the Bible. So we can do the same thing. How should we pray? Biblically, we should pray souls. Lord, you're not willing for souls to perish. Lord, you added unto the church daily. Lord, you're the great physician who touched the blind eyes. Lord, you're the one who brought the prodigal son home. Would you do it for our son? So their prayer was united, it was God-centered, it was scriptural, and the number four, it was totally unselfish. It was unselfish. Look again at verse number 29. Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Not only did they not pray, Lord, should we speak thy word, give us a sign. No, they knew that was supposed to happen, but they also didn't pray, Lord, protect us from the Sanhedrin. Put protection around us, a force field around us so that we can go preach and they can't touch us. Lord, take this problem away. They didn't pray that either. What did they pray for? Boldness to preach. That's what they prayed for. It'd be very easy for us to have called down, you know, God, would you just crush them? Would fire come down on this council? Would you, would you, Protect us from them so that we can still do what we're supposed to do. Too often when we pray, we pray for God to get us out of situations. Not deeper into them. But what's Peter and John praying for? God, I pray that when we get deeper into this, that you would really bring your power. I'm not praying that you would get me out of jail. I'm not praying that you would protect me from them. I'm not praying that you would blind them or make them deaf to you know, what we're saying. I'm just simply praying that when I go back and get deeper into this problem, that you would just really bring the power. That's what they said. It was said this, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for God to make you stronger. Don't pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Think about that. Don't make it easier, Lord. Just give me strength. Don't give me, or, or don't give me tasks that are harder than my abilities, but increase my abilities to the tasks that you have given to me. And then we see here a physical manifestation of the power of this prayer verse 31 and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the holy ghost and they spake the word of god with boldness i've read stories of revivals in the past over in england ireland scotland and that area where just a couple couple older ladies got together in a barn and began to pray Not just for a few minutes until they ran out of prayer requests. They prayed for hours. What do you say for hours? Sometimes you don't say anything at all. Because you don't know what to say. But you just sit there silently in the presence of God. And he knows. He knows what your heart is uttering that your mouth cannot. And you sit there and you're just giving that time in the presence of the Lord. Something else comes to mind and you continue to pray. And I've read stories about this couple of old ladies that continued to pray. Others joined them. And as the story goes, the barn, after several hours, even began to shake because of the power of those prayers, because of the presence of God. We don't always like to pray like that, though. We want to keep them short, sweet, succinct, so that we don't keep others waiting so that we don't, you know, annoy or bother other people. Our prayers ought not to be an annoyance. I remember as a kid, I, my, my family would always get annoyed with me because if Nathan got to pray for dinner, then they were going to be sitting there a while. <laughs> and I'm not saying that out of a spiritual thing. It was just whenever I would go to pray before dinner, I would think of everything under the sun to pray for. And what they wanted me to say was, thank you for the food, amen, you know, because they were hungry and it was getting cold on their plate. But our prayers ought not to be annoying. Our prayers ought to just be genuine from our heart. Sometimes they may be longer. Sometimes they may be shorter. Sometimes you may not be able to close your eyes or fold your hands or get down on your knees. Sometimes it's got to be a one-second prayer because you've got to answer that question right then and there. Or you've got to make a decision right then and there. Lord, please give give me wisdom to make a right decision right now. They prayed right and they received. There was boldness in their prayer. They prayed for boldness and they received power. This is the third time here that we read in the book of Acts that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, even though they were still relatively novices in their, their ministry experience, but God still worked. Don't be fooled into thinking that you have to be a Christian for 15, 20, 30 years before you can have an effective and a powerful prayer life. My seven year old can have an effective in a powerful prayer life. Even though he can't pronounce half the words that I use, even though he doesn't have all the scriptures memorized that I or you do, even though he hasn't learned the name of all the doctrines like I've studied, he can have an effective and a powerful prayer life if he brings his praise and his prayer before the Lord in these ways. If he brings his prayer and his praise unified, and if he brings it scripturally and God-centered and unselfish prayer before the Lord. And so we look at this singular prayer meeting that brought so much power. And I encourage you, start in your personal life. We cannot just force these kinds of prayer meetings. I can't just say, all right, we're going to gather here you know, at five o'clock and we're going to have a you know, wall-shaking prayer meeting. doesn't, doesn't work that way. It starts with you as individuals growing your own prayer lives and implementing these things into your own prayer lives so that you have a powerful prayer life. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Are you a righteous man or woman? And are your prayers effectual? And are they fervent? So this morning we talk about this, the power of a single prayer, the single prayer meeting here. And we take it and we make application of it this morning to our own prayer lives. Individually, but also corporately, as we pray together. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Maybe the Lord worked in your heart concerning something this morning and I pray that he has I pray that the spirit is moved. And if that's the case this morning, would you be willing to come forward when the piano plays and to get it settled? Maybe the Lord's worked in your heart concerning your prayer life or lack thereof. Or a lack of prayer or a lack of power in your prayer. Maybe the Lord's worked in your heart concerning your praise and a lack of praise toward God. It's easy to get caught up in complaining. It's easy to notice all the things that are lacking. It's easy to notice the things that are amiss. But do you praise the Lord for the many, many, many uncountable, speakable, unspeakable things that he has done in your life? If the Lord's worked in your heart concerning something this morning, Would you get it dealt with as the piano plays? Let's all stand to our feet. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You've been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.